Daily Aviation Podcast is presented as entertainment, not flight instruction. Though some participants are certified flight instructors, their comments, opinions, and discussions of flying techniques are theirs alone. None of the co-hosts or guests on this podcast are acting as your flight instructor. Please consult your own CFI for guidance on your specific flight training, aeronautical knowledge, and aircraft operation. This is the Stuck Mike Avcast, an aviation podcast about learning to fly, living to fly, and loving to fly. Episode 111, honoring the women Air Force service pilots, coming up in this episode of the Stuck Mike Avcast. Now here are your co-hosts, Victoria Zyko, Sean Moody, Eric Crump, Rick Felty, and Carl Valeri. Welcome to a special New Year's edition of the Stuck Mike Avcast. It's 2016 today, and we have something really special on tap for you. You know, normally we like to do something different for the first of the year, in our first edition of the year. Now that 2016 is here, we wanted to honor a certain group of aviators. And we also wanted to give you a podcast that was really special. Well, you know, we've been getting a lot of interest in a certain interview that I had done years ago at Sun and Fun, and that was with two very special Women Air Force Service pilots, or WASPs. Well, you know, their story is truly inspirational, and the interview was so much fun. It was funny, inspirational, and educational. Well, you know, one thing that we didn't do, we never released that interview, and that was in 2012. That interview was over at Sun and Fun Radio on Chats from the Deck. We'll have a link to that. But we want to play you that here today. And we want to start the new year by honoring those that served, especially the women Air Force service pilots, truly inspirational veterans, truly inspirational people, and their story is amazing. But my telling the story would not do it justice. So let's listen to those that served. Two very inspirational women Air Force service pilots. Now entering cruise flight. It's Carl Valeri with uh, the Stuck Mike Avcast with uh, reporting for Sun and Fun Radio on Clubhouse Drive at the 99's booth right near the uh, flying tent. And today I'm with Barry Vincent Smith with a very special organization during World War II called the WASPs. Now, what were the WASPs again? WASPs means Women Air Force Service Pilots. We were the first women to fly military aircraft, and we were trained at Avenger Field, Sweetwater, Texas, which was the only flying training school in the world for women military pilots. Wow, and I do appreciate your service. I, uh, I, I'm wondering, what was it like back then to be a, a woman? Now, you had to have 35 hours of flying time to be interviewed for the WASP. And they and I was working at the telephone company then in 1941, and and making twenty five dollars a week, and my flying lessons were fourteen fifty an hour dual, so I could afford one hour a week, and you had to have thirty five hours, so it took me thirty five days or thirty five weeks to get my thirty five hours that we had to have to be interviewed for the wasp. Well, that that takes some dedication. I didn't, didn't. Now, did the other pilots need to have the thirty-five hours, or just the what? The men, only the women. Every so. and they interviewed twenty-five thousand women. Now they all had thirty-five hours, and they 
they accepted 1,830, and 1,074 of us got our wings. The rest washed out because they could not fly precision flying. Wow. Now, that's a very small percentage. You must be very proud of, of your accomplishment, and, and we all are, too. But Now, where, where did you go after that, after well, you went after to the training? After I got my wings, when I got my wings, I said, what rank will I have? Both of my brothers were second lieutenants when they got their rings. You don't get in my family unless you're a pilot. <laughs> and so, anyway, um, now what was the question? Yeah, after Sweetwater uh, and the training, where would you... When I, I went, After I got my wings, I said, what rank will I have? The general who was giving us the wings said, pretend you're an officer. He said, nobody knows that you're a civilian flying military aircraft and don't tell anybody. And we didn't. We had gorgeous uniforms made by Bergdorf Goodman in New York and Santiago Blue. Now again, that's that's a bit of a shock. They, you weren't part of the military; you were civilians. No, we were just civilians flying military aircraft. Now, did you ever get recognition for this? Or uh, thirty-five years later, they made us veterans. Now, Terrific. We didn't get one single benefit as all the other women service people got. You know, they got college and houses and everything. We got zero. Wow. Five years later, they made us veterans. In March 10th, 2010, they gave us a Congressional Gold Medal for being the first woman to fly military aircraft in this country. And we all went to Washington to the Capitol to get that. And there were probably 200 of us that went for that. And remember, there were 1,025 of us that got our wings. So when they say you you volunteered for this, you truly volunteered and gave up so much. Yeah. Well, actually, I was making $25 a week at the telephone company, so that was not giving up very much. No, I guess not. (laughs) Now tell us a little bit about the the aircraft that you actually were able to fly after training. When we were in training, we flew Stearman first. That was the open biplane. And we got about 65 hours in that solo and dual, short and long cost, cost country, day and night. And uh, and then you and then they gave us, everything they gave us was for men because no women had ever been in. So they gave us these men's green coveralls that were huge. But we rolled up the sleeves and tied the belts in and rolled up the pants. And so we wore those every day for seven months. We flew the Stearman first. We got about 65 hours in that. And then we flew the AT-6, which they have a lot of them here. And we got about 65 hours in the AT-6. And they said, if you can fly an AT-6, you can fly any fighter the Air Force has. And we did fly. Wow, that's impressive. Now, the then, then we flew BT-13s, which the instrument plane. Okay, and then after the BT-13... And then the and then wings. And then I went on. I was stationed at Waco, Texas, Blackland Army Air Force Base. And I was a, a multi-engine tested, uh, tested, tester, I mean, test pilot on AT-10s. They were twin-engine advanced trainers for men that were going into the bigger bombers. And all I did, they gave me three hours of duel. Well, I should tell you, when I reported for duty at Waco, 
to the number one. There were four hangers and four wasps there. And I reported for duty the next morning after arriving in Waco. And I said, sir, I'm reporting for duty as your new test pilot. And the captain said, Jesus Christ. And I said, no, Barry Vincent. <laughs> he got confused. No, he's, no, no woman had ever been in that hangar before, and they didn't tell him I was coming. And he was in total shock. But right away he got a parachute, an AT-10, an instructor, and they gave me three hours of duel. And the instructor said, there, I've taught you all I know about this airplane. You're a test pilot. And I thought, I wonder why it takes the men five months to learn to fly this airplane, and I'm a test pilot in three hours. <laughs> yeah, why is that? <laughs> yeah, why Why does that work out? Like, So the next morning I came down to the hangar, and there were, oh, and after he gave me the three hours of duel, I went into the hangar, and I met all the mechanics. I talked with for two or three hours to every one of them, found out everything I had to do with every airplane. And the next morning, I came down to the hangar, and there were eight AT-10s written up on the blackboard that I had to test. And I tested just as everyone, I'm just if I knew what I was doing, and I did. So you'd do these test flights after they did all the repairs? After and the mechanics worked on them, and they repaired them. I took them up and made sure they were safe for the men to fly. And, of course, they, they all worked properly, right? And they were perfect. Every one of them. I never had trouble with one. Except after I'd been there a month, you know, I was there about two minutes, and they gave me three hours of duel. The commanding officer came to me one day, and he said, Would you please teach that other wasp to fly? She hadn't been flying in that whole month. So I gave her three hours of duel, just as they had given me. And uh, when we were coming into land, I was going to let her land a couple times. I couldn't get the gear down. The flip, the switch you flipped didn't didn't work. So I had we had to crank it down manually, which wasn't easy. You had to be so strong to do it. But anyway, I could look down in the runway, and the fire engine was gathering, and the ambulance, all the things, getting ready for crash landing. So I flew by the tower, and they said, it looks like the gear is down. So I came and made a perfect landing, and nothing happened. So I taxied it to the hangar, and the mechanics worked on it. I tested it the next day, and it was perfect. Wow. And, and did you get a chance also to teach other people how to fly at that point? Or? No. Uh, and I, and uh, I, I did other things. Like, uh, they decided, now, I was there, I went there in August of 1944, and so uh, I, we hoped we would be there till the end of the war, but in, that was August, in, uh, let's see, in uh, November, we had a letter from General Arnold, who was head of the Holy Air Force, and Jacqueline Cochran, who was our leader, and they said, we're sorry, but we're going to send you home. We're going to disband you December 20th, 1944, because the men are coming home from their missions, and they want their jobs back. You go home. So we couldn't believe they were sending us home after we had flown every single airplane that the Air Force played. The biggest airplane was a B-29, and that girl right over there has 30 hours in a, B in a B-29. 
You saw it over here. Yeah, I think it was Fifi up there, wasn't it? Yeah. yeah. And so, uh, so we couldn't believe it. Actually, we found out the truth later that they were, and they see they all went before Congress. They get banded together. They found out what was going to happen to them. They were going to be drafted and sent to Germany, the civilian instructors. So they banded together, went to Congress, and said, we should have the jobs that those women are doing. Send them home. And they sent us home. So these guys got out of going to Germany. Wow. I had no idea. found that out later. So they sent us home. And here the war was not over for nine months. And we had the, and actually we had fewer women killed doing the same jobs as the men. Say that now. You just said that you had fewer women killed. They were killed. We had 38 women killed in the two years and the two months that the WASPs were in the Army Air Corps. Yes. We had fewer women killed than before the women came in. They were doing the same jobs as we were. Now, I don't know if that means we were better pilots or we were or we were more careful or something, but fewer women were killed than men doing the same jobs. Sounds like you did a great job. Now, what did you do after all this? I mean, that seems pretty exciting. After it, I, I loved it. I had about, I got out, when I got out of the WASP, I had over 500 hours. Half of it was multi-engine. But I came home. Nobody would hire a woman pilot. I could have flown any airplane they had with, uh, with help, you know, for a while, practice. But that Delta, seems so foreign to me. I just, I maybe... Delta offered us jobs as flight attendants, and we said, we can fly any airplane you have. But nobody would ever hire us, and I don't know, a lot of girls did something with aviation, but uh, I didn't. Anyway, I married a Marine, and he was still in the Marine Corps. Let me ask you this. Now, things have changed a little bit. Yes, (laughs) I know that. Now, how about people these days? I mean, they, they uh, especially women, and we're at the 99s booth, which maybe if you know a little bit about the 99s, you might be able to ex- explain. To in Indianapolis, I was. we lived in Indianapolis. My husband was branch manager of Smith Corona Typewriter Company in Indianapolis. Have you ever heard of typewriters? Oh, yeah. yeah well, yeah, his, uncle, his uncle Bert owned the company, and when Les came home from the Marine Corps, Uncle Bert wanted him to work for the for his company, so he worked there in Syracuse, New York, at the factory and in the office for six years, and then he sent us to Indianapolis, Indiana, and Les was branch manager of Smith Corona Typewriter Company. That was in '52. In '90 and '85, he retired because Smith Corona went out of business because they didn't change the computers. Of course, during World War II, they changed to guns and then back to typewriters. See, originally, there were four brothers, four Smith brothers, and they had, they started the gun company, the L.C. Smith gun, which was a famous gun. But then when typewriters were invented, they switched to typewriters. And then during World War, they switched back to rifles and then back to typewriters, but they never switched to computers because Uncle Bert died in 52. He would have changed. He was the last of the four brothers to run the company. 
Wow. The um, now, what do you, have you done any flying since at all? At all? I mean, I fly a lot in airplanes because my daughter, after she graduated from Indiana University, she was a Pan Am flight attendant for twenty years. My ticket was $28 around the world, and man, did we go around the world. Oh, Wonderful benefit. She called me one day, and she said, Mom, I want to go to Mount Everest this weekend. Sure. And off we'd go. Wow. Hers was free, and mine was $28. Boy, you can't beat that. Boy, and did we go. And I had to go into the flea market. I said, this isn't fair of me to, to use my husband's money. My first two kids were out of college and gone, and Carolyn was one of them, who was Pan Am. And then, so the last two kids, David and Barbara, were in college. So I was free to go, and I, I went into the flea market business to earn money to, f- to fly all the time with Pan Am. That's terrific. Now, the... Uh the girls now that are going into aviation, is, is there anything you could maybe say to them? I know that you had some challenges then, but oh. uh, how about nowadays? I mean, what, well, what? You know, I didn't have a car. I didn't have any money. And I wherever I went, I had to hitchhike. So I would take the after work at the telephone company on Friday. I got my $25 on Friday. I would take a bus to Amboy Airport, and then it was a four-mile walk from the bus where the bus let me off out to the airport. So I would start walking. I'd walk until somebody picked me up. And then I, after I got eight hours, I soloed, and I thought, I'll go to a little airport in Canastota, New York, which is only eight miles east of my house, and that way... On Saturday, I can stand in my house till somebody in front of my house till somebody picks me up, and everybody always said, "Do you need a ride?" And I felt like saying, "What in the hell do you think I'm standing here for?" <laughs> and that sounds like a lot of challenges: getting out of work, getting to the, and just. But nowadays, you could just drive to the airport. I think the challenge is all, is all in a car. Well, I did earlier when I was 19. I bought a 29 Ford in 1939, and I drove that for a year without. And in the winter, the snow would fly up through the floorboards, but I'd throw a little rug over it. Never had a flat tire or anything break down. And I thought, I don't like a black car. So I bought a gallon of turquoise paint and a paintbrush, and I painted the whole car turquoise. <laughs> what a great story! Hey, now, now listen. If you talk to girls today and they say, "Well, women don't fly," or "Can they fly airplanes?" Oh, what, no, what would you say to them? They fly all of them, and oh my gosh, you could go into the air force and fly anything. I mean, it would be so wonderful now, and make a career of that. And that's what I plan to do. But nobody would hire me, so I got married. In fact. That is a very strange story right there, but we don't have time for that. No, but they, you know, they, uh, it, it just is amazing, all these stories. And it just The thing that I, I, I keep hearing in my mind when you're saying these things is that it was such a challenge then for women to do this. Even today there's a challenge, but it's, it's more in our minds than anything else, is that we, it's out there, the opportunities are there, and people should be receptive to this. We need to make this yeah, aviation industry viable, and there's so many women. As well as men any day of the week. Right, and and uh, hopefully we'll see more and more. And by listening to your story, hopefully that'll inspire more to do anything it. Anything you have to do to get it. Yeah, and of course, 
Nobody knows, and we were only making $25 a week at the telephone company, so it took almost my whole pay to get one hour of flight time. And then I had to pay for lunch, and and uh, my carport was $2 a week. My lunch was $0.50 cents a day. So that I had maybe $1 or $2 left every day. And, of course, I had to stand and hitchhike. I didn't have to pull my skirt up or... Or, or or put my thumb up or anything. I just stood there and they stopped. I looked wow. at them and they stopped. <laughs> wow, that's terrific. Now I see you have this book here. If you could just yes, show daughter, it to me here. My daughter had did this on computers, and uh, now this book we're looking at it was uh, it's this really gorgeous book about. Here is Dean. He was 101st Airborne in Vietnam. He's retired in the villages. Well, actually, he's doing mortgages up there. Barbara is an RN with a BS degree, works for two women cardiologists. That's me. This is my front of my house where I'm looking across the lake. And this is Carolyn, who was a Pan Am flight attendant for 20 years, then got her master's, and she's been teaching school. She married a Marine who was 30 years a Marine helicopter pilot, a colonel. And this is my son, David, who flew for Phantoms eight years. He's still flying for Delta, and he's single and handsome and dating a flight attendant. <laughs> I see this, this award here that you have. It's have a, this is a Congressional Gold Medal. It's about this big around. In the picture, it's huge. And this is in Washington. Well, I was standing by that fake one that was up there. Now, I see a picture next to the women there, Air Force pilots World War II. my son, David. He's got his Delta outfit on there, Carol and Barbara. There's my grandson. He's drummer in New York. My other grandson is flying F-18s out in California. That's my son. So aviation kind of run, runs in the family. <laughs> aviation is my family. You don't fly, you don't get in up. Now these are, here are my two brothers. They were both pilots, flying B-25s, B-25s, B-17s, B-29s. There's Jeff, he's flying F-18s. There's his dad, 30 years, a military marine helicopter pilot. Here's his dad as a flying tiger, his dad. And oh. here's my son flying F-4 Phantoms. And there's an article that says, like mother, like son. That Where did that come yeah. So, and Now, let me ask you this for our listeners, since they can't see this. Can they come by and take a look at this today? Sure. Is that I'm going to be here. Are you? There's okay, terrific. my Marine husband. When I came home from the Wasp, this is a crazy story, but the day before we were disbanded, December 19th, 1944, it was 3 o'clock in the afternoon. I'd been testing AT-10s all day. The commanding officer came to me, and he said, Barry, I want you to fly this sergeant to Columbus, Ohio, on an emergency leave right now. So I got him a parachute. Now I wonder, how did I know where Columbus, Ohio was or where to stop in between for fuel? But I seem to know everything. I stopped at Memphis, Tennessee Air Base for fuel, Got up to Columbus, Ohio the day before we were disbanded. There were about 10 B-17s in the traffic pattern. I worked my way in there, stayed all night. The sergeant went home. I came down to the the office the next morning to check if they put fuel on my plane to fly. That was the day I was disbanded. 
to put fuel on my plane, which they had. And a young a lieutenant called out, anybody flying to Memphis? And I said, I am. And he said, who's your pilot? And I said, I am the pilot. He said, ooh, I've never ridden with a woman pilot before. And I said, you'll love it. And he did. I took him to Memphis, let him off. And then the mechanic said, you can't take off in this plane. This plane has not had its 100-hour check, and we're not going to let you take off. And I said, I'm disbanded today. I can't fly anymore. I've got to get back to Waco. And so I called my captain. He said, stick with the plane. Bring it home when you can. So uh, I I stuck with the plane. Three days later, December 23rd at 7 in the morning, they were finished. I took off. I landed back down at Waco. My captain said, the one who was so shocked to see a woman pilot, you know, and he said, Barry, I'm going to give you a twin-engine plane to fly it to Syracuse so you'll be home for Christmas. I'll send an instructor with you, and he can fly it back. So we take, I ran to my barracks, threw my stuff in the suitcase, ran back, took off. We landed back at Memphis for fuel, back up to Columbus, Ohio, on our way to Syracuse, got fuel. And then the, the airport closed because it was so cold and snowing. That was right before Christmas. So I thought, I'll go to the commanding officer and see what he can do about this. So I went to him, and I said, I'm trying to get home by Christmas, but I'm weathered in here. What can you do for me? He said, sit in my office. I'll see what I can do. Half an hour later, I'm riding co-pilot in a B-17 to Syracuse with a crew of five men. They're taking me home for Christmas. Wow, that's a great ride home. Gosh, that's a terrific story. So they let me ride co-pilot in a B-17 to Syracuse Airbase. I'm at... And then we get, I get to Syracuse, thank all the guys for bringing me home for Christmas, and go in the operations office. There's my dad and my stepmother. I said, how'd you know I was coming home? I didn't know it. They said, we didn't know it. Your brother Artie's flying in on a B-25, and about five minutes he's going to marry Doris tomorrow. So that was exciting. I didn't know that. So we're already comes in and look at that. Is that neat? Oh my gosh. 86s. I got 65 hours in that plane. They should have you announce it. I got 65 hours in that. Anyway, so uh, do you want me to rave on? So, so then we're driving home and my stepmother says, Remember Lester Smith? He's home from the Marine Corps. He's been gone in the Pacific three and a half years. And I remembered him when I, when we were 20 years old. He came home from school before he we went in the Marine Corps at Pearl Harbor time. And we had four dates. So when we got home, there he was. My God, I'd forgotten how handsome he was in that Marine uniform. And, oh, I'm so glad to see him for some reason or other. So we sat and we talked and... He said he'd been writing to Betty so-and-so, I can't remember her name, for three and a half years, and he's thinking of becoming engaged to her, and he had a date with her that night at 7, and it was a quarter to 7 then. And so I said, wouldn't that be fun if I went with you tonight? And he said, well, sure, come along. But Betty didn't seem too happy about that for some reason or other. <laughs> well, he was a handsome so, guy, but boy, I tell you, I'm looking at this book here, you quite pretty in the, in the uniform on the front cover here. 
So anyway, we we take we go out with Betty to uh, and there's a great great picture here. Here's the AT10 that I flew. That's Nancy Shoe Station with me. And these, again, these pictures will be available. You'll have them here all day for people to look at. Uh, you'll keep the book with you uh, throughout. The, will you be here for most of the show? We're staying till Thursday. Till Thursday? Okay. So if they want to come and, and talk to you, kind of running up on our, our, our time here. But uh, is there anything else you want I've to tell the folks? I've got a lot to tell you. I know. Oh. I'm just going to give one. Well, right, if one more. These noisy, I can't talk over So anyway, we the, in the next night is a... The next night is my brother's wedding, and that Marine was best man, and I was maid of honor. Then a couple days later, they flew back. My brother flew him back in a B-25 to to his base in uh, Camp Perry, Williamsburg, Virginia. So I thought, what am I going to do with my life? Here I've got commercial multi-engine. I've got every rating there is. Nobody would hire me. So I said, I, I'll stand in front of the house till the Greyhound bus comes along and I'll hail it and take it bus down to my mother's cattle ranch in Sebring. When I was 19, they bought 2,300 acres. And I lived with them for a year while we were building, cutting down thousands of cypress trees and building the ranch and the horse barn and fencing and buying cattle and all that stuff. So anyway, then... um, so my brother already flew him back to his base, and I took the bus to the ranch, and I was at the ranch two weeks, and I had a a letter from that Marine, that handsome Marine. He said, I've got a 10-day leave. I'm coming to the ranch. And I thought, I wonder if he's bringing Betty. And, <laughs> and so... And that was a surprise. I, I borrowed... I borrowed my mother's car. Now, the, there was no electricity at the ranch. From 39 to 47, the ranch. Shut up. <laughs> the ra- The ranch was just on a sand road, and anyway, I borrowed Mom's car, drove into the bus station, picked him up, and we're driving back to the ranch. And right in front of Cleveland's Pony Ranch, he pulled a shoestring out of his pocket, tied to his belt loop, and belt loop into that shoestring was a diamond ring for me. And I didn't say what happened to Betty. And, in fact, I don't know. I never asked him. Wow. So we were engaged. And then he spent ten wonderful days with all of us at the ranch. Of course, my mother and all everybody at the ranch knew him because he'd moved to Chittenango when he was 14. His dad was our doctor and all that stuff. So uh, I dated him four times, remember, when I was 20. So then my brother flew him back to his base in a B-17. He was flying B-17s a mile from the ranch at Hendricksville. So he flew him back to his base. And then I thought, well, I better go home to Chittenango and get a job. And when the war is over, Les will come home and we'll get married. So I wrote to Les, and he's... And... uh, I said, could you be at the bus station Saturday? My bus stops there for 20 minutes. So he met the bus there, and I was in the number one seat. And I stood up, and he smiled. He didn't say hello. He said, let's get married. And I said, okay. I never had trouble making decisions. I guess not. (laughs) 
And that lasted a while. Everybody on the bus clapped and cheered, and I got my suitcase, and we went to the William and Mary Presbyterian Church, and we told the minister about it, if ask him if he'd marry us, and he said, did you just pick each other up in a bar? We, we said no, and we told him the story. He said, I'll marry you tonight at 6 o'clock. I said, would you mind finding... Would you... Would you mind calling your parishioners and see if you could get us a room to live in because we don't have any money? He was a PFC making 52 a month. So so he found us a room for $10 a week in a beautiful home. So we got married that night, had our little $10 a week room. The next day, I won't tell you what happened between. <laughs> anyway, so I got a job the next day because he only made $52 a month, and they, there was no opening for a multi-engine test pilot, so they gave me a job as secretary to the post doctor, making 57 a week. So we lived there for several months until, uh, let's see, that was uh, April. We were married April 3rd. In August, they said all the wives have to go home because the Marines are training for the invasion of Japan. So I had to go home. And then, of course, they had them dramas, drop, bomb was dropping. My brother was flying B-29s like that one over here. He landed on Tinian Island the day Tibbets dropped the atom bomb. And then he flew two missions over Japan. The next bomb was dropped, and the war was over and Les came home. And guess where we went? Down to the ranch for two months' honeymoon. He, he told Uncle... <coughs> I told you, his uncle, his uncle owned Smith Corona typewriter company, so he told Uncle Bert that he wanted to take a two-month honeymoon. So we borrowed his mother's car and we each had $50. And he took his rifle. Here's expert shot. And if anything moved, he shot it and we ate it. <laughs> that, that is a terrific story. That's, that really is. It goes on and on. <laughs> but anyway, the, uh, just to, to wrap up here, if, if people want to hear about all these stories about the war, I mean, I could sit here and talk to you forever about, oh, okay. about what happened. And, and, and for, for our listeners, they, they can come here till Thursday sure. and talk to, talk to you. And uh, you can be found right here at the 99s yeah. tent here. And it's just on Clubhouse Road behind the, the uh, Flying Magazine. That's a big tent with a red, yeah, big tent says Flying Magazine. And uh, we're going to also talk to somebody else, a friend of yours here, about uh, flying the B-29. So I'm going to go over there and talk to her a little bit. And I, I thank Thank you so much for your time. Appreciate it. <laughs> and uh, now we're still at the booth, the 99's booth. I'm here with uh, Dora. Again, my name is Carl Valeri. And uh, for Sun and Fun Radio. Now, I, I hear that you... It's a little, little loud out here, so we'll kind of pause between that. But I hear that you flew in a B-29 before? I hear you uh, flew in a B-29? Yes. Oh, wow. Did, and uh, who did you fly with? Colonel Paul Tibbetts. Paul Tibbetts, the atomic bomb, the person that dropped the atomic bomb? Wow. Yeah. That must have been exciting. It, uh, had it. A little loud. Uh, 
They sure do. <laughs> I think I'm sure you've seen a few of these before. Yeah. Yes. And did you also train in Sweetwater, Texas, too? Yeah. In, in the or Avenger Field, I should call it. Actually, it's um, well. That that's terrific, and we really appreciate your service. And since the air show is going on, we'll kind of make this a little bit short. But can folks come here and talk to you a little bit during the show at any time, Dora? I won't be here. I'll no, we're just going to be here for the day or tomorrow, possibly. Till Thursday? Okay, great, great. No, be out and about. Well, if, if anybody wants to get a hold of you, or they, oh, your home base will be here at the at the 99s. Terrific. But I couldn't imagine what it would be like to try, to fly that. B twenty nine. I mean that that's incredible. Was it was it did they was it hard to fly around or? Oh no, it was very well balanced. It was an easy aircraft to fly. Now, did you after the war did you do any flying uh, or was that it? Yes, I was a flight instructor for many years. Really? Wow. My uh, actually my boss was a flight instructor in World War Two and uh, uh, Maybelle Fletcher. I don't know if you ever heard of her down in Texas, but. Uh, she had many, many years of flight instructing, and uh, I can imagine you must have been a very good instructor after all that experience with the military. Where did you teach? In Fort Worth, Texas. Fort Worth, wow. And uh, did you have a flight school there? Or? Oh, no. I just was a flight instructor. And how many years did you teach? Oh, it's just hard, hard to say, on and off, maybe for 15 years. Oh, wow. That's cool. That's so neat to be able to pass that on to other people. I think that's terrific. Let me ask you one thing, though, and the, and the important question. And You're here at the 99s booth, and we talk to a lot of women that are looking at flying, and, and they, there's a, not too many women out there as pilots right now, but they're growing. What would you say to some of those girls that are thinking about flying? What would you tell them? I'd tell them to follow their heart's desire if they want to fly fly they can always find a job someplace <laughs> amen to that you know it's uh, one of the things that people I, I still hear it today and it from it, it's foreign to my ears as some people every so often say that that uh, women can't fly and and the wasps the women's auxiliary service pilot they they actually prove yes women can fly and and they do a, did a great job of it and uh, just I don't see any difference between men and women flying. And the great thing about what you folks have done is you've proven that. Is that and, and you've far exceeded what I think most folks' expectations were back then. Yep. The airplane doesn't know the difference. <laughs> That's my line. <laughs> Terrific. Well, thanks so much for taking the time. And, and uh, hopefully we'll be able to see you again. And if anybody wants to stop by, they can see the 99's tent here on Clubhouse Road. And uh, you can talk to any of these folks. And, and it's just great to hear some of the, the history. And we, we really are proud of you folks and, and really appreciate your service. So thanks so much. Again, that's Carl Valeri with Sun and Fun Radio. The After Landing Checklist. After this interview, Dora actually got a chance to go back to the B-29 and fly in Fifi, and then since has passed. But we honor her memory and Barry's and all the women Air Force service pilots by giving you this episode this evening. We also want you to do one thing. If you could, go out to episode 111, stuckmikeavcast.com slash 111, and look at the links that are on there. And support some of the causes for the Women Air Force Service Pilots, like the museum out in Sweetwater, Texas, and also the other Whirly Girls and other organizations that are terrific about promoting aviation for women. These were truly inspirational people. Their stories were fun. They were, they were very interesting. They're educational. 
and amazing. As you could tell from the interview, I was thrust into this interview without much preparation and wasn't told who I'd be interviewing. I learned a lot while I was there, and I really, really enjoyed bringing that interview to you. You know, from us at the Stuck Mike Avcast, we want to inspire you to try something and do something just like the women Air Force Service pilots. And, and we want you to go out and honor them by visiting those websites, by donating to a cause, by inspiring a fellow aviator to fly. This is our first episode for the new year. We hope you come back and listen to some more. From all of us here at the Stuck Mike Avcast, Happy New Year and safe flying. You've been listening to the Stuck Mike Abcast. Members of the Stuck Mike Abcast may receive compensation for products or services mentioned during the podcast. Compensation may be received in the form of, but not limited to, referral commissions, free products, or service trials. Our opinions and views are never influenced by any compensation, and you should always perform your own due diligence before purchasing any products or services mentioned during the show. The Stuck Mike Avcast is an aviation podcast and a Valeri Aviation Corporation production.